CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. We are so excited to share a new podcast series joining the Startup Canada Podcast Network, born out of the Rural on Purpose host takeover in April. Shauna Ray, founder of media company Radar Media and career-long broadcast journalist, will be taking a weekly dive into the topic of rural entrepreneurship across Canada in the all-new Rural Women Podcast. Follow along for updates at startupcan.ca. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Monica James on our show today. Since 2003, Monica has focused her commercial banking career on helping Indigenous entrepreneurs realize their dreams and being a voice of reconciliation. During this time, she's held a variety of progressive positions in Indigenous banking, including senior manager and business center manager. In her current role as regional manager client diversity, she leads BDC's national strategy to support Indigenous entrepreneurs in accessing capital and advisory services to scale and optimize their business. She is also the Indigenous lead for BDC's internal strategy to honor the Truth and Reconciliation Commission call to action number 92. As a proud Cree woman from the Peter Ballantyne Cree Nation and being raised in Northern Manitoba, she understands the unique challenges many rural and remote indigenous entrepreneurs face. After completing a Bachelor of Commerce from the Asper School of Business, she started her career with BDC. One of her first milestones was being a founding member of the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce the first in Canada. She values giving back to the community and serves on the board of Mother Earth Recycling, an indigenous social enterprise focused on creating meaningful jobs and opportunities for at-risk individuals. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you, Kayla. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, and I can't wait to just dive right in. So tell me your story, Monica. How did you come to work at BDC and find yourself in your current role? Well, you know what? I think uh, if anybody tells you that they're going to be a, a banker, you know, when they're growing up, 
chances are that's not typically the career path that people want to go on. But, you know, really my story, it's it's non-conventional journey that brought me to BDC. You know, there's really four profound moments in my life that brought me to BDC. So something that people don't know about me and are quite shocked when I tell them is that I had no intentions of going to university. When I was 18, I was content living in my small town and working at a job making $18 an hour. I'm not going to tell you my age, but as you can imagine, back then, that was pretty good money. But more importantly, the thought of moving to Winnipeg, or any big city for that matter, was terrifying. I was born and raised in Flint, Manitoba. It's a small northern Manitoba town, and it's 700 kilometers north of Winnipeg. And it was all that I knew. It was a place where I was comfortable and I felt safe. So the first profound moment that changed the course of my life was when I told my mom that I didn't apply for any university scholarships. As you can imagine, that conversation didn't go very well. The year after I graduated from high school, my mom sent me to live in Winnipeg with my sister, who was a single mom and in her third year of university. It only took me about four months working 50 hours a week making minimum wage at two jobs for me to quickly realize that this was not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I knew that if I need that I need to get an education really if I wanted to make a better life for myself. What I learned is that we need to make mistakes and really feel uncomfortable in order for us to grow as people or as a person and ultimately to be the best version of ourselves. Mm. I decided to go to university to be an athletic therapist. I was, an, I was athletic growing up and I liked helping people. So really, athletic therapy seemed like an ideal career. However, after graduating with a Bachelor of Physical Education, I quickly found out that being an athletic therapist wasn't what I thought it would be. And I was left wondering, what should I do now? The third profound moment in my life was when a friend of mine told me that it's never too late to start over. Hmm. And at the age of 23, you think, I am so late in life to actually start <laughs> my career. But really, it's not that late. So I decided to cut my losses, rethink of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I ended up going back to university. Four years later, I graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce. Now, I'm almost certain that no one dreams of being a banker when they grow up. So the summer before I graduated, I worked at a large scale chartered bank and fell in love with helping business owners to be more successful and to help them succeed and see them carry out their dreams. After I graduated, I was offered a job at this chartered bank and simultaneously at BDC. So the fourth profound moment for me was when I decided to interview the interviewees when I was applying for the jobs. Mm. And I asked them, what do you like about your job and what don't you like about your job? And based on their responses, it was clear that BBC would be the best fit for me. Mm. It's important for us to always ask questions, believe in ourselves, and know that we all bring value to any company or organization that we work for. 
But that's so important and so off, overlooked often in interviews that it's a two-way conversation. You need to be mm-hmm. you know, aligned with organizations that align with you and your own personal values. Um, so that that's great to hear um, that you know through that experience, you had such a positive experience that ultimately led you here. Um, yes. So walk us through what um, you feel is one of the most rewarding parts of your role as um, Indigenous lead with BDC um, and specifically within those portfolios. The most rewarding part about my job is when I get calls, texts, emails, DMs from my clients thanking me for helping them with their business or sharing their successes about a big contract that they got, something that they're really hoping for and striving for. Being a banker isn't glamorous. It's not something that we all say that we want to be. But hearing successes from my clients really makes uh, what I do enjoyable and the most rewarding. We all know that being an entrepreneur isn't easy. They work extremely hard. And the successful entrepreneurs are those the ones that don't take no for an answer, but they have the courage to take chances and really ask for help when they need it. If I can help somebody succeed along their entrepreneurial journey, then I know I've done a good job, which is very rewarding, if you ask me. Hundred percent, and and something that often you know people don't feel in their day to day jobs, and and uh, that's great that you get to live and breathe that every single day. What a gift! Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have any examples of you know the clients that you've been engaging with on a regular basis, um, pre pandemic and during the pandemic, um, and some of those examples of of your clients' resilience and innovation that you've seen um, directly sort of on the front lines that you'd like to share. Well, you know what, I, I'm, I get calls and texts and, and emails from clients uh, sharing their successes. But one that I really want to highlight for you um, is about a company that had to deal with resilience and that putting community prosperity before individual benefit. So when COVID hit, the demand for PPEs, as we know, skyrocketed. And one of our Indigenous entrepreneur clients in Thunder Bay saw this as an opportunity to add PPE and sanitizing products to their struggling safety supply company. Jason Thompson is the owner of Warrior Supplies, and he was struggling prior to COVID. He was having a hard time really breaking into the market, breaking into the uh, safety supply business. So soon after, COVID hit, he decided to add PPE to his product line. And he was starting to really gain momentum. And right after he was starting to gain momentum and he was starting to see successes with his supply company, the global market supply of PPE was crippled because there was lots of entrepreneurs that we saw getting into that market. Mm-hmm. So as a case in point, PPE suppliers in Ontario couldn't secure product to meet the demands for their large scale client, large scale clients. We're talking big, big multi-million dollar companies. So Jason actually had an opportunity to fill these contracts, but he too ended up quickly um, falling into the same challenges as the others that he didn't have the didn't have the supply. So at the same time, he was actually talking to an Indigenous entrepreneur in Saskatoon who also sold PPEs, and he had a warehouse full of them. So Jason shared his story and his challenges about lack of supply. What's very interesting and heartwarming is the company owner in Saskatoon could have went after these really lucrative high-end contracts, but he did the opposite. He sold his PPE stock to Jason. Mm. Yeah, he put his he put community prosperity 
before individual growth. So Jason was actually able to fill the, the demand for these big contracts, which was great because now these big companies are purchasing from his other supplies that he's selling through his supply company. So hearing stories about, you know, entrepreneurs working together like this really isn't uncommon. And I hear it quite often in the Indigenous market because it's one of the lessons and the teachings that are given to us by our elders. So beyond networking and partnership entities, Indigenous entrepreneurs have access to a lot of unique supports that you know are dedicated to, to making capital more accessible, which is a challenge for many entrepreneurs. Um, can you explain for our listeners who may not be familiar with the role of AFIs, um, and AFIs are Aboriginal financial institutions, um, and the role that they serve in the ecosystem? So AFIs, or Aboriginal financial institutions, they're the grassroots organizations. They're very well versed in the needs and the challenges of Indigenous entrepreneurs. They slow, solely work with Indigenous entrepreneurs. So they offer financing and grants, or as they like to call them, contributions for startups and businesses that are looking to grow and scale. What's critical um, is that they are should be an Indigenous entrepreneur's first source of resources and um, uh, a place to go to to get some help. So in order to access support from AFIs, Indigenous entrepreneurs need to realize that they need to have an up-to-date business plan. So the reason why I share that is because it takes some time to put a business plan together and it's just one of those things that if they have that, then it helps with the process. Amazing. And if somebody's looking for a business plan template, is there a specific tool or resource that you would point them to specifically on that part before um, or as they engage with an AFI? Yeah. So BDC has a lot of resources on our website. We like to refer to it as free PDF. So if you go on <laughs> BDC's website under articles and uh, resources, there's one section for start or buy a business. And in there, you're going to find so much information from business plan templates, what to consider before you start your business, or some of the things that you should consider after your business has started up. Fantastic. And often, you know, that can be one of the most challenging questions that we hear is, you know, where do I start? Are there templates for these types of things? You know, what if I don't know what I don't know, where can I look? Um, so that I think is a really helpful takeaway um, because BDC has so many um, helpful resources and tools uh, that you can leverage for free, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, so walk us through um, a new announcement that was made um, called the Indigenous Growth Fund um, that is in partnership with NACA, the Government of Canada, BDC. BDC and other government partners. What is the Indigenous Growth Fund um, and what opportunities does this provide to Indigenous entrepreneurs across Canada now? The Indigenous Growth Fund, I got to actually work on it briefly um, and I have to say that after being with BDC for 19 years, it was in the top five things that I've ever been able to do at the company. I'm very excited mm -hmm. to have been part of it. So the Indigenous Growth Fund, or as it's referred to as the IGF, it's an Indigenous social impact debt fund. And it's the first of its kind in Canada. It took a lot of time and resources to get this thing up and running. There are so many people working hard on it. So BDC and NACA partnered to bring this fund to fruition, which is to benefit Indigenous entrepreneurs who really have to deal with a lack of, ac lack of access to capital to start and grow their business. So the fund raised $150 million from the government of Canada BDC, Export Development Canada, and Farm Credit Canada. 
So if indigenous on, entrepreneurs want to learn a little bit more about this, the IGF or how to access it, I recommend that they contact their local AFI. Fantastic. And how would an Indigenous entrepreneur go about finding their local AFI? Yeah. So the best option is to go to NACA's website. And NACA is the National Aboriginal Capital Corporation Association. And on there, you'll find a list of over 50 five-zero AFIs across Canada. Fantastic. Monica, Beyond those that you've already discussed, all these different resources, what entrepreneur support organizations, programs, or resources would you also recommend that Indigenous founders look into? Depending upon an an entrepreneur's needs or their stage of business, I like to start them with the business benefits finder. If somebody just simply searches on the internet, business benefits finder, It's part of the Government of Canada's innovation website. Here, entrepreneurs fill out a form online about what they're looking for, their stage of business, what the business goals are, how many employees they have, where they're located, and any demographics that they would identify with, which could be examples, women, Indigenous, under the age of 40. The form takes less than two minutes to complete. And within seconds, they'll find a list of resources from financing to grants to advice based on their specific needs. Here, they're going to find links to Aboriginal financial institutions, futurepreneur, women enterprise uh, centers, provincial economic development corporations, Export Development Canada, Startup Canada, your organization, Mm -hmm. and the list goes on. More specifically for startups, as I'd mentioned before, BDC has a number of resources on our website, but I also really like to refer people to your organization, Startup Canada. Just yesterday, I got a call from an an Indigenous woman entrepreneur who's looking to start up a company in Saskatchewan. She didn't really know where to start, and so I, I directed her to our BDC website, but also your website. And one of the things I really like about on your website is you have an amazing guide which lists national and regional resources for women entrepreneurs. On there, entrepreneurs can find mentoring and support organizations to funding and capital resources. And for our Indigenous entrepreneurs, again, contacting their AFIs, uh, and they can look on the NACA's website. And we know that financial literacy is a big barrier for not only Indigenous entrepreneurs, but all diverse entrepreneurs. And BDC offers some very good online free courses to help with this. And the two courses that are the most popular are cash flow management and financial fundamentals. So all that it is going to cost somebody is their time because these are free courses and I highly recommend them for either startups or for existing businesses. Fantastic. That Those are really great tips. And for the business um, benefits finder, um, that is open to all entrepreneurs, uh, you know, varying stages, um, dem- demographics, obviously, where you're coming from across Canada. Um, it is such a helpful tool um, to leverage in addition to all of BDC's resources that were mentioned. And of course, Startup Canada, but I'm a little mm-hmm. biased on that side. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what can non-Indigenous entrepreneurs and support organizations that are listening to today's Startup Women podcast 
podcast do um, to really make it um, you know better when it comes to support indigenous founders and their ventures? What are some practical asks or takeaways that non-indigenous entrepreneurs um, can take away from today's episode? So non-indigenous entrepreneurs and organizations can support indigenous entrepreneurs by purchasing and promoting their products and services. Mm. So really following them on Instagram, Facebook, or any other social media platform. I believe that all entrepreneurs deserve the space and time to share their successes and struggles, especially those that are underserved, which you and I know very well. I've learned that the biggest ways that we can have an impact is by purchasing their products and services and creating visibility by promoting their brand to others. You know, there's a number that I follow, uh, digital entrepreneurs that I follow on Instagram and social media, and I share their successes or I share their businesses with my family and friends and colleagues. And from that, I ended up doing that last week. And from that, we had um, a meeting with this the, our Indigenous client that we ended up uh, working through with social media. And we're going to be putting her on a program that's really going to help and grow her business and, you know, help her with uh, the trajectory that she's on. Mm, I love that. Yeah, the power of procurement. It really comes down to, you know, your, your purchasing power and the storytelling behind it, you know, tell the stories and, and amplify um, these various businesses that you might be supporting to your networks, because you never know who might be looking for that type of product or looking to, to support an Indigenous entrepreneur um, through, through their purchasing power as well. So that's a great takeaway. That's right. And one thing for people to remember is that Indigenous entrepreneurs aren't looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. They want to be having a level playing field for them to showcase their business and really be invited to the table like any other entrepreneur. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Um, so, Monica, any final takeaways um, for our audience to take away from today's conversation and implement into their business? Are there any final pieces of advice you'd like to, to drive home? You know, by telling my story, there was a couple of teachings that were actually in there that I live by. And I think a lot of people can have benefits if they, if they live by it. So number one is never stop educating yourself and always ask questions. Mm. Number two, when we make mistakes and feel uncomfortable in life, that's when we learn the most and when we are creating the best versions of ourselves. Number three, it's never too late to start over. It doesn't matter how old you are. My mom went back to high, my mom was a high school, didn't finish high school, and she went back in her 40s and graduated when she had four little kids. So it's never too old to start over. And number four is know that you have value and believe in yourself. Those are four incredible takeaways to, to end today's podcast on, Monica. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast. Uh, and thank you to the entire BDC team for the support of uh, this podcast. Thank you very much, Kayla, for having me. And so excited to be here and working with Startup Canada. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.